marijuana, pot, grass, shake, bud, ganja, chronic, cannabis. Cannabis. Whatever term you use, less than 10 years ago, it was a product that was trafficked in the shadows. Hey, buddy. Hey, hey buddy. Hey, buddy. And today, in Oregon and many other states in the U.S., you get a receipt and a bag with your purchase. Thank you. Come again. I'm Travis Box, and I am fascinated by the complexities of what seems like a voter-approved gold rush happening in real time. Will we cultivate Oregon's greatest cash crop ever? Or will this great experiment and legalization go up in smoke? (coughs) Each episode, I'll sit down one-on-one with the major players in the Oregon cannabis industry, the activists, the medical professionals, the legislators, the economists, the regulators, and the lobbyists. How did Oregon get to this place in history? And where does this budding billion-dollar industry go from here? You see what I did there? You're listening to Mainstream Weedia on the Coin Podcast Network. It was a concept that began in California's medicinal cannabis days. Cannabis delivery. After the passage of Measure 91, Oregon also approved a cannabis delivery model. But even with the changes made at the legislative level, the model could still use some work. Today, we speak with a driver owner of a delivery dispensary. We talk about the challenges, the COVID boom, the city of Portland's cannabis program, and how to stay nimble in a down market. David Fugi, original driver and co-owner of Rip City Delivery, joins us next. You're listening to Mainstream Media. Hi, this is Jeff Giannola from Coin6 News, and I'd like to invite you to watch Coin6 News at 10 on Portland CW. It's our award-winning newscast one hour earlier at 10 o'clock. A full hour of the stories that are important to you and your family from the news team that's watching out for you. Plus, Portland's most accurate forecast certified by weather rate from Chief Meteorologist Natasha Stenbach. See why more people are switching to Coin6 News at 10 on Portland CW. Watching out for you. Welcome back to Mainstream Media. So, Dave, what was your path to the cannabis industry? Okay, well, um, I spent some time in Southern California, and I was spoiled by the weather down there quite a bit, to be honest. But um, cannabis delivery was really popular, and that was probably back in, like, 2010, 2012. I had a medical card. And the way it worked down there was you just found somebody on Craigslist and uh, they'd come to your house, you know, whether they had a license to do that or not, you really didn't know. All they did was, you know, maybe they checked your medical credentials. Maybe they just pretended to. Uh, mine was always valid, so I don't know. But um, yeah, they would be happy to deliver to wherever you were. I mean, the regulations were pretty loose. From the customer's perspective, it was pretty good. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of red tape in between the customer and the uh, business person, you know, they were just on Craigslist. I'm sure their expenses were very low. The flower came in a Ziploc bag. Um, the quality was very variable, you know. Uh, um, so anyway, I thought that was a great idea. And when I came back up to Oregon in um, 2014, I came to came back to Oregon State to finish my degree at Oregon State. And then I came up to Portland after that. And I was working at a yoga studio and, um, you know, didn't really have much going on, to be honest, just keeping 
busy at the yoga studio and kind of enjoying life after graduating. And um, I think that's right around the time the delivery laws came out. And I uh, always loved cannabis, obviously. Um, you know, I love it to the point where I grow it just for fun. Uh, fell in love with it in college. I, you know, one night at a party did it one, and thought it was, wow, this is great. You know, let's try it when I'm not drunk. And so anyway, I always loved pot. Um, but, you know, there just wasn't a feasible way for me to get in the business as a business owner until the delivery rules came around just because, you know, so I thought at the time it was going to be a low expense venture and, you know, maybe be a way to get my foot in the door. And, um, you know, to a certain degree it was like, it's definitely cheaper than running a brick and mortar dispensary doing a delivery service. But, you know, the $5,000 a year OLCC license, and then you got to pay rent every month. And, you know, I guess that was my initiation into owning a business. And, uh, you know, the number one thing is be mindful of expenses and, so anyway, uh, 2017, I secured a, a place for Rip City Delivery, and that was probably February or March. And I uh, started going through the OLCC process at that point because you had to have a, a lease in place. So um, we finally got a lease in place in March and probably paid uh, rent for six months until OLCC finally showed up to do an inspection because there was just so many people trying to get licenses at the time, and you know, perfectly understandable. Um, so, you know, that was kind of, um, nerve wracking paying rent for six months and, uh, you know, other expenses too, getting the business ready and just hoping that, you know, the space was going to be okay with OLCC because honestly, I wasn't entirely sure if they would approve it. And, um, yeah. So finally in 2017, in about August, we got our license activated after, you know, paying rent for six months and planning for six months and, um, that planning phase just seemed to keep on dragging out. Um, so finally, 2017, August, we have our license. I'm the only delivery driver, and it remained that way for um, you know two and a half years. Um, our first employee was hired, I think, January 2020, and uh, you know, so it was a pretty gradual grind for those two and a half years. I delivered every day myself. Um, finally, had a weekend delivery driver in. Uh, January of 2020. And then, you know, not too long after that, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic hit and that really changed things. Um, the delivery companies were very well positioned for that shift, except for the fact that, uh, you know, I needed two full-time delivery people by April. So from, uh, January, 2020, I went from just barely having the money to have a weekend guy. And then April, 2020, you know, I need two full-time people to help me because, you know, I went from, maybe two or three deliveries a day to 20 to 30 deliveries a day. That was, that was another learning experience. So I've been a few, been five years of learning experiences so far. Let's talk a little bit about some of those learning experiences. When you first started, what were the regulations on delivery? Because I know they have since changed and we'll get into that because you were a big part of that process of change. But when you first started, what were the regulations surrounding delivery of cannabis in Oregon? Well, um, at the state level, they were slightly different than they are now. It's um, pretty convoluted. So um, the state rules at the time were that you couldn't cross county lines. It just, you know, pretty straightforward. You just couldn't do it. So, um, you know, I'm in southwest Portland on Multnomah Boulevard in Multnomah Village. For anyone that knows the area, 
Beaverton's about five minutes to the west and southeast Portland is, you know, 20, 30 minutes to the east. Even though you're still in the city of Portland going to southeast Portland, but you'd have to go to a different town to go to Beaverton, you know, just those practical things you don't think about when you think about the uh, the fun of running a cannabis business that come up like that. So um, anyway, I lobbied um, basically every state representative and every state senator to get going on this delivery bill that Ease had worked on in 2019. Ease is a software platform in California. And um, I think, you know, Oregon is a little bit different than the rest of the country. Small business is definitely preferred. And I just don't think Ease was um, received very well when they came up to Oregon as a software platform provider from California with big funding. They just they weren't the right uh, messenger for that bill in the Oregon State Legislature. And then, and what year was that? I believe that was 2019. Um, so 2020 is the year that I got House Bill 2519 passed. So I think I just had a you know a big advantage in that I was the opposite of that. You know, they have hundreds of employees. I'm just me. Um, quick footnote on that: my mom is the other owner, so it's a it's a mom son business, and um, we're the only two owners. So. You know, we're a, a son and mom shop and, um, you know, the opposite of ease. And uh, I think it was really well received. I emailed every single representative and state senator and uh, a lot of the Republicans were pretty hard nosed. But in Oregon, there's a lot more Democrats than Republicans in the state uh, legislature. So that really wasn't too much of an issue. However, one wrinkle there is originally the bill was going to allow me to deliver to other jurisdictions just as the bill was passed. If it was signed by Governor Kate Brown, then that would have been that. I would have been able to go to Beaverton or Tigard, anywhere where it was already legal, uh, anywhere where retail sales were already legal. So um, the Association of Counties came in and they didn't like that uh, because of concerns they have from people in you know, Eastern Oregon. So it's actually kind of interesting. People in Eastern Oregon affected the delivery laws in Portland. And uh, I just don't really see how the laws are really even uh, relevant to them. I can't imagine um, cannabis delivery taking off in Pendleton. There just isn't enough people. So so when I'm working with uh, various committees in the, the House and the Senate, uh, the Association of County has caught wind of the bill. And they said, you know, we don't like how quickly you're loosening up regulations, basically. They uh, wanted to slow down the pace of using regulations, I suppose. Um, like I said, I don't, I don't find it to be particularly relevant for Eastern Oregon what the delivery rules are. Uh, it seems like a non-issue for them. And for me, it's, you know, it's a huge deal. If I could deliver to Beaverton, I would be pretty happy about it. Even today, we cannot. Um, so... To back up before it was passed to get it through various committees, we had to make the concession that if this bill was passed, then we'd have to go to various jurisdictions, you know, city of Beaverton or un unincorporated uh, Washington County and ask them for permission to deliver from Portland to their jurisdiction. So it created a whole another layer of work that's, you know, actually 10 times the amount of work it was to pass the bill at the state level because then you have to go to various jurisdictions, everyone you want, basically. So, uh, yeah, if anyone's listening, feel free to reach out to, uh, you know, if it's appropriate, if you live in unincorporated Multnomah County or unincorporated, all the rich people in Dunthorpe, that would be you, uh, unincorporated Washington County, 
um, you know, Beaverton, those would be great areas for us to deliver. We're five, 10 minutes away. So the bill passes and now you're allowed to go to different cities. You just can't cross county lines. I know even to go to Beaverton. So the other jurisdictions would be from Portland to Beaverton or um, it's also at the county level. So if I'm in Portland and I'm in Multnomah County, I, I can't even go to unincorporated Washington County where someone might have a Portland address that ends in 97225. And you can see like this is a, a complication you probably wouldn't foresee running into when you run a cannabis delivery service. But um, you know, these regulations make things difficult. And um, so to be able to uh, deliver to Beaverton or unencrypted uh, Washington County, I need ordinances passed in their jurisdictions to allow me to go from Portland to Beaverton. Do you continue to lobby those jurisdictions? Yes, but honestly, it's been difficult. And um, over the summer, the economy is deteriorating as far as I can tell. And that seems to be um, affecting how much they want to give attention to cannabis delivery, you know. So it's kind of a bummer for people who would benefit from it because we do turn down maybe a delivery a day to, um, you know, the places I mentioned. Dunthorpe is pretty close, but they're technically unincorporated in Multnomah County. So as someone who's licensed in Multnomah County, I can't go to unlicensed Multnomah County or uh, unlicensed Washington County. So, um, yeah, still working on that. So, I mean, basically working with the city council in Beaverton and unincorporated Washington County, uh, or I guess the, the county board at unincorporated Washington County. So I've also become pretty familiar with local politics and all how that works. Has the city of Portland's Bureau of Community and Civic Life's cannabis program helped you advocate towards lobbying those other jurisdictions or have they predominantly just been the local regulator? I'd say they're predominantly a local regulator. Um, I think they would be of the mind to help me do that, to be honest. Um, I'm also working with them to possibly get curbside pickup allowed for retail couriers. So um, that would get into another complication of the business. I have a retail courier license with the city of Portland, but with OLCC, I have a standard retail license. So uh, in March of 2020, OLCC, they approved curbside pickup, but um, the eight retail couriers in Portland can't participate because technically in Portland, we have a retail courier license and the regulations for that were written in 2017 before COVID. And I think inadvertently, they wrote the rules in a way that stated that we had to make deliveries, but, you know, they weren't thinking about curbside pickup. They were just thinking, all right, we want to make clear they're not a traditional brick and mortar dispensary. So they put the regulation on us that we have to make deliveries only. But, um, you know, just logically speaking, if they're not allowed inside the space, which is, you know, the difference with retail couriers, we can't have anyone inside of our space. So if that's the same as a brick and mortar, my logic was um, it's the standard operating procedure should be the same for either a brick and mortar dispensary or a retail courier for meeting our customers outside. So I think the city of Portland cannabis office is great. They are definitely people that want to help. Um, they have a lot to do and I totally understand that. Um, but yeah, I, I do feel like they're an advocate. I do feel like they've been helpful. Um, to be honest, I think I could probably follow up myself with the uh, city of Portland to get them to help with different jurisdictions. Um, to be honest, the curbside pickup is actually taking up more of my focus lately, uh, just because 
at our place, it's a bit of an idiosyncratic situation. We have a bunch of food carts and uh, there's private events every Friday at, uh, at this place that we're at. It's a food cart pod. So for us, it'd be particularly great if we could do curbside pickup. But it's a bit of an aside. Um, yeah, but I, they're, generally speaking, they are an advocate. Speaking of the city's cannabis program, I saw a press release that you were actually quoted in talking about the importance of the emergency relief grants that were put out for cannabis businesses. Yeah, they did in a very intelligent way, too, because they had to get around federal rules by helping out cannabis businesses, and they were very clever in how they did that. Can you talk to me about how you got involved and then why that program is so important? Well, I think um, I was speaking about how the economy is deteriorating a bit, and um, in my opinion, that really favors the operations with money in Oregon and as far as I can tell, a lot of mom and pop shops are going under or smaller companies are going under in favor of chains who have, you know, 10, 15, uh, I think Nectar has 36 stores uh, statewide now. So, you know, they're a lot to compete with when they have um, those scale of operations like that. Uh, so I think the city of Portland and what they did, they're basically answering that in a really clever, smart and proactive way. Um, the people they wanted to help were the opposite of that, you know, small businesses like Rip City Delivery. So um, I think by helping out small businesses, they actually counteracted the trend of Oregon going to well-funded big companies. And uh, I think Oregon, especially people in Portland, are um, sympathetic to small business and they want to support small business. So uh yeah, I just think that was a, a great program. And to be honest, that was really important for us. Uh, the retail environment's tough right now. Um, I'm sure you know that the wholesale prices are going down. And, uh, you know, the second order effect of that is at the retail level, uh, you know, if we sell an ounce for $200 last year, you know, maybe we keep 60, 50 bucks. But, you know, if we sell the same ounce for $150, you know, that's a lot less money for us too. So there's a lot less money to go around to everyone. And um, I am an econ major. So I also know the flip side of that is that the customer really benefits. So, you know, I, I feel maybe two ways about it as someone who loves pot, because, you know, from a customer perspective, it's great if you can get indoor ounces that are 30% that are, you know, reasonably affordable, as opposed to when uh, everyone had a whole bunch of money to spend two years ago during the pandemic because, you know, it seemed like price was no issue back then. Wholesalers would ask for crazy prices, but the retail prices would be high, so it would work out. Um, so it's kind of the opposite. I think a lot of people are feeling that squeeze right now. Do you see Oregon's cannabis economy as being cyclical? That we're just in that overproduction phase that there are some state regulations that still need to be addressed. Maybe at some point we'll see some sort of federal reform. But ultimately, this down phase is a natural part of capitalism, where some are going to fall by the wayside and some are going to be able to bootstrap, stick through, and then see another resurgence when the industry finds some equilibrium again. I completely agree with you. I hope we're both right. Um, you know, it's like a full circle experience for me. You know, I was telling you that I was the only delivery driver when I started, and I'm back to being the only delivery driver now because, you know, I'm 
trying to stay in the game and I'm keeping expenses as low as possible, you know, what that means is no $400 a month bank account using my personal cell phone. Uh, I'm, you know, no labor expense as in, you know, um, I found out labor expense is the biggest expense in a business like mine throughout the pandemic. So, um, it's a great way to control your your expenses if you can be the person working at your business. So yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think there's going to be a period of pain. Uh, who knows how long it'll be? You know, right now might be the worst. I thought it was pretty remarkable that wholesale prices were going down before the October harvest even showed up. So now that that's here, you know, it's going to be tough. Um, I'm thankful to have a delivery service instead of a brick and mortar right now because. My expenses are so uh, so easily controlled. I have a very small uh, garage space; it's 250 square feet, and um, yeah, uh, inventory is definitely smaller than it was too. Uh, but yeah, I, I see it the same way you do. I see it cyclically. Um, it would be nice if there was some federal regulatory relief on the horizon. I'm pretty pessimistic about it. Uh, yeah, I just. Given how national politics are playing out, I just, I mean, are Democrats even going to be in charge? That's something that we have to pay attention to. Uh, is that an absolute roadblock? I don't know. It seems pretty uncertain. Um, yeah, I think, you know, statewide, the regulations are pretty favorable in that they just made the moratorium on licenses until 2024. Um, if you're someone who's struggling, that, that might you seen as a get out of jail free card. I could see that. Um, so, you know, there's probably going to be 40 nectar stores statewide before it's said and done because they're going to be buying up those licenses. And now it's the only way they can get them. So, uh, you know, if they wanted a cheap license, I would say they should probably buy right now. Um, anyone that doesn't sell right now isn't as desperate to sell right away. Well, you bring up a good point. You're small enough that you know you can pivot and scale and you can adjust quickly to the market. And at their level, yes, they're big enough that they can weather some storms. But when the storm gets pretty bad, they may not have the maneuverability of some of the mom and pops or mom and son shops to be really able to bootstrap and weather the storm. I agree with you on that. Um, I guess it would come down to their debt financing costs. Uh, right now, it's going to be pretty high. I just saw Boris Johnson, who's the head of Cure Relief. He was saying there's a top five MSO raising funding at like mid-teens uh, interest rate. So that's pretty insane. Um, but at the same time, they still have access to capital if they need it. If they run out of capital, you know, that might be a function of the Federal Reserve, believe it or not. So uh, a lot of variables at play there. I say that because if uh, I don't want to go too far down this road, obviously, but if the Federal Reserve has easy policy, there's more money uh, available for ventures such as cannabis, which are probably uh, not going to pay off for a while due to federal re regulations being uncertain and probably not great for at least another few years. Uh, I would love to be surprised, but um, just don't see a lot of hope there. What do you think Oregon has done right since the passage of Measure 91? I appreciate that they gave everyone a chance to get in the business. Uh, they made licensing accessible. Um, you know, like I said, there was some startup expenses in the beginning, like carrying a 
six months of rent at somewhere where I wasn't even sure OLCC would approve the operation. But, you know, it was still low enough that I could do it. So I, I definitely appreciate that. Uh, I think now we're feeling the downside of that. Um, you know, it's hard to make the decision. Do you limit licenses and limit people's opportunity to pursue their dream? Or, you know, do you prevent pain later? Like right now, and there's frankly too many licenses. So um, it's a tough call there. But, um, you know, I, I think they made the right call and giving everybody a chance. Um, it's interesting that the moratorium came in. Like, um, I think it was needed. I know that's controversial. It might not sit well with some people. But, um, yeah, there's just too many licenses. And if we're going to have a, a sustainable business where people besides the well-funded operations survive, there just can't be um, so many players that ounces cost $20. That's really what it comes down to. If ounces cost uh, $20, $30, I don't really see much of a chance. And what needs to be reworked here in Oregon? It's hard for them to do a whole lot. I think um, the moratorium was big. Um, I think if a good thing they could do now is maybe not do much and see how that plays out. There's going to be a, a process of that playing out. It's going to take time. Um, you know, I think the moratorium ends April 2024. It'd be really, uh, I'll be curious to see what the market looks like then. We were talking about how it's possible to go through a period of pain, who knows how long it is, and then come out the other side. Um, you know, that's, it could be possible because some people don't last through the painful period. Unfortunately, um, that might be part of what makes ounces uh, more reasonable. You know, if they're twenty, thirty dollars, that's great for the customers. I, I honestly probably wouldn't keep doing this. Um, so, if that's the way the market works out, that's the way it works out. But um, I would also think that would mean a lot of chain operations and not much else. Yeah, um, yeah, I think. They could just let it play out. Um, yeah. uh, I really want to be controversial in Oregon. I guess I could say lower sales taxes. Is there anything you really want the listeners to know that we didn't cover, either about your business or about the industry in general? Um, yeah. Uh, the tax rate that I paid in 2021 was like 80%. It's pretty crazy. Um, you know, Obviously, if you're an operator, you know that, but I think most people aren't aware of that. And, uh, you know, I follow Portland Reddit and they're always harping on dispensary owners for the margins they take. And, you know, from my perspective, I'm thinking like, man, I'm working my ass off to break even over here. And you have no idea. You think I'm breaking it in and I'm, you know, basically going through a painful period, hoping I can come out the other side and uh, run a business in an industry that I love. So, um the perception of dispensary owners making a lot of money, I mean, maybe it's been quelled a little bit because, you know, ounces are $20 at dispensaries sometimes. But um, yeah, just the tax situation is pretty crazy. Like when I had delivery drivers, their labor was not a, a tax deductible expense for me. So uh, exactly. So if I have to pay them $20 an hour, then I also have to, uh, you know, it's not a tax deduction. So. Say a pretty expensive relative to a normal business. That's actually the biggest reason I went back to just being the only driver myself is um, labor in the cannabis industry is especially expensive because you can't use it as a tax deduction. So uh, I guess that would be my boring answer is that the taxes are a lot worse than you would imagine. 
And uh, it's a boring, simple thing to say, but it, it affects how much cash you have. So I'm going to give you three choices. What is the first thing that you want the feds to fix? Interstate commerce, safe banking, or that 280E tax code? I think interstate commerce. It's a tough, it's a tough answer, though. Um, I think I would still do a lot of the work myself if it was interstate commerce. But, um, you know, it would be hard to pass up that opportunity for someone with a website. And um, one of the things I've learned over the last five years to, a, you know, an elementary degree, but I know what a decent amount is search engine optimization. And um, yeah, someone that has a website and knows about search engine optimization can make a good living online if they sell stuff that's not very desirable. If it happens to be cannabis, I think they do great. Um, I guess there would be an issue with processing credit cards if safe banking hasn't been passed yet. So, you know, there would be an issue there. But interstate commerce would, I think, change the game more than anything else. 280 would be nice, though. I mean, um, you might get your weekends back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I actually, I understand that you can retroactively take deductions if 280 is passed for a few years anyway. So, um, you know, that could be. Um, That'd be huge for a lot of operators who've been going through some tough times. David, if people want to learn more about Rip City Delivery, how do they find you? What's the best way for them to get in touch? We are on our seventh Instagram, Rip City Delivery 7.0, 7.0. And uh, if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm Dave Fugy on Twitter, F-U-E-G-Y. And if you want to place an order, ripcitydelivery.com. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, we can only deliver to... Uh, people inside the city of Portland. Unless you're a medical patient. If you're a medical patient, we can deliver anywhere. And we love medical patients and we love taking care of them. Hopefully they love us too. David, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Travis. This was fun. David Fugi, original driver and co-owner of Rip City Delivery. Mainstream media. Once again, straight from the mouths of the people inside the industry. Oregon's cannabis market is facing challenges. Oversupply has bottomed out the wholesale market. Demand is down after the, quote, COVID bubble. High taxes, fluid regulations, and the federal prohibition are still hurdles for these businesses. But through the worry, you also hear grit and determination. The determination to weather the storm and be open to better days for the industry whenever those days arrive. Thanks for listening to Mainstream Media on The Coin Podcast Network.